You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. There's no way we were going to start the first Spain and Fitz back with Sarah here without starting with a big hurrah. Welcome back, Sarah. You got a little <laughs> vacation, got a little sun, and now I think the highlight is that you're back with us, right? Listen, it's nice for you to posit this as sort of like, oh, of course we have to have a party to welcome you back. When I'm pretty sure you guys talked behind the scenes and you were like, there is no way Sarah comes back from vacation without dropping a couple of shits right on the air. And so we should probably do that in a pre-party setting where it's not going to be a problem instead of unleashing her to the masses just unkempt and unready for a return to radio. We have so much we're going to get into of meaning. But when you say that, it, it totally reminds me of the first ever show that I ever did for ESPN on TV like, there was no rehearsal or anything. And I remember Sonny flew down to Charlotte. It was on ESPNU. And, uh, you know, we're, we're live on TV. And when I came out, she looked like she'd seen a ghost after the show. And I was like, <laughs> why were you so nervous? And she was like, I was certain you were going to say the F word on TV. And I'm like, <laughs> I am an adult, thank you. But uh, that is, it is I mean, amazing. Listen, we've talked about, I'm an adult too. And we talked about early on in my ESPN 1000 local Chicago illustrious career. I called a quarterback a douchebag and they were like, yeah, you can't do that. And then I talked about a pitcher named Doug Fister and I made a really inappropriate joke on the air about that. There was just a lot that happened early on where I had to learn about the mouse and about uh, presumably other just regular radio regulations that most people would have assumed and I needed a little bit of an update on. The only time I've ever gotten in trouble was the one time, stupidly, we were talking on local radio in Nashville about our favorite TV shows. And this is obviously, you know, before we were working together. And I said, you know, yeah, my favorite. And it just started. I said, my favorite show, bar none, is Shit's Creek. I did not think about the fact of <laughs> what I was saying. And I just saw the look of horror and everybody scrambling to press the dump button to, uh. to try and save me. And I'm like, what did I do? And then I realized, oh, that was mine. Yeah, they really kind of screwed us all with that show because that's what everyone's <laughs> been doing. Like, I remember Colbert would always say, I'm only allowed to talk about the show if we put the name of the show on the screen while I say it for you to recognize the word I'm saying. Uh, they probably enjoyed that, to be honest, uh, messing that with is. all the media people for the last couple of years. That is remarkable. We got a lot that we're going to get into tonight, yes. but because we are so packed tonight, there's a few things we can't get into. One of which is the Grammys. I don't know if you were you know, in love with it, but I'll tell you, I was watching last night, Sarah, and I think it was the biggest home run the Grammys have hit uh, that I can remember. I mean, the fact that instead of trying to be cute and do all these collaborations and make all these artists that don't necessarily mesh together, mesh together, and do all these funky things that the Grammys think are important, they just went out and let artists be artists, and they filled it with people making music, and it was really remarkably, like, I walked away from last night thinking, man, the future of music right now looks really stinking great because there are so many talented artists that the Grammys let shine. It was a huge home run for them. I completely agree. Let me put out there that I did not dive deeply into conversations around the Grammys attempting to become more diverse, being more inclusive, all of the issues behind the scenes. I haven't dived deeply into the people who were boycotting them for a number of reasons. So it certainly still has its issues. And as a recording academy and everything else that they do, they can give a speech in the middle of this and it hasn't fixed everything. That being said, Coming from a place of just got off vacation, haven't been doing the think piece thing, just going to sit down and watch this for what it is, they crushed. And most of what I saw on social media, which was I was very active on throughout, was so positive. It is the most positive experience I have had posting stuff and engaging with people on Twitter in the longest time I can remember. It was just a bunch of people loving the performances loving the choices being made creatively for how to react to people being in person or 
in a you know studio stage room and still making it creative the way they did Cardi B's graphics while it was very clear she was on a stage but they green screened it to make it look like all this really cool stuff was going on around her the fact that you saw the artists reacting to each other's live performances and enjoying each other the groupings like you said not forcing a bunch of things that didn't fit together um, I was thoroughly entertained for every second. There was no part of that. Even the songs I had never heard before. I was like, this is a great song. Who is this person? Like, I don't know what it was. Maybe I was just in a good mood because I'm feeling refreshed. But um, yeah, I thought it was supremely entertaining. And it was not lost on me that it felt a lot less old and white. Mm-hmm. And that might be part of the reason it was so entertaining. They got well, a bunch of people that really brought it. It felt relevant and current in all yes. of that, which is really and, and I'm the first to say, look, I did not vote this year and I didn't vote this year because I was so busy during football season, particularly that I don't feel like I gave it the attention it deserves to have great mindset in my voting. So right. I watched just as a wow, this is going to be fun to watch. Personally, I would have given record of the year to Dua Lipa instead of to Taylor of the year, uh, Taylor Swift. But, you know, the, it, at some point, the fact that everybody was building everybody up, it just felt like it was a very love-filled broadcast and i'll tell you like the crazy thing when you do these tv broadcasts you know they're they're down to the second on how long each performance can be the fact that they gave bruno and anderson two performances Mm -hmm. and one of them was over four minutes i mean I've, I've sat in management meetings where you are just battling with the TV exec to try and get a minute and 47 seconds instead of a minute 42. Like, it's that down to the wire. The fact that they were willing to give almost eight minutes of the show to those two, I, A, it was brilliant. B, they were incredible together. And C, I cannot wait for that tour. Oh, my God. That tour, I like, I'm already high thinking about it. Like, just walking in, you're going to immediately just get absolutely contact high from the vibes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they also knew that what people needed was great performances. When you're not going to have a slick set and it's not as much about which celebs are presenting and things like that, you just get down to the good stuff, which is put on great performances because people miss live music. And I also thought it was so brilliant and well done how they had a bunch of great live venues, places that I've been to. One of my favorites in L.A. is the Hotel Cafe. I miss it. Um, and, and to have those places present some awards and talk about what it's been like without being maudlin about it. Right. It wasn't. They also didn't do too many of the slow classical music sad pieces about what music has lost now maybe it would have been appropriate and it would have helped bring attention but i think people know about that stuff and it wanted to be joyful and it was Uh, your point there by the way is something that i think we could all sort of dial back in on there there are times that we just need to bring back some form of entertainment for entertainment. And I, I was personally really glad that they kept things feeling so positive. Like when you're doing a set as a musician and you focus on how many upbeats you have versus how many ballads, I feel like 2020 and 2021 has given us all the ballads we can handle. We need some upbeat pops. Right. Like at this point, we just need right. some bangers totally. to make us happy. <laughs> in the meantime, that's not the only a big thing happening in pop culture that we won't be able to get too into too much on the show. The Bachelor has the uh, the final tonight, right? Yeah, like that's a, yeah. That's a big and deal, so right? I know that you're not into the show, so don't worry. I'm not going to break down for you, especially because when people listen to this, they might have already watched the finale. What I wanted to address really quickly is I think this is a perfect place where pop culture and a very serious, bigger issue collide in a way that I wanted to touch on really quick because I feel like I've been mentioning it on the periphery of a bunch of different issues and. Chris Harrison, uh, in case you guys have missed it, had an interview with Rachel Lindsay, former bachelorette, the first black bachelorette who was a lawyer, now works with ESPN and Extra and a ton of other places. She's brilliant. 
She's great at what she does. And she interviewed him about a contestant who has made it to the finale, who is, um, I, I, I'm not exactly sure of ethnicity, but white presenting, right? Um, and she went to an antebellum plantation sorority party in 2018 and had liked a bunch of racially insensitive posts on social media. This is something the show has had an issue with before as a previous contestant picked someone, got engaged, and after the show found out that he had a bunch of really terrible anti-trans, um, politically insensitive posts. And she had been someone who marched for women and supported Hillary Clinton. It was just awkward. And it felt like something, especially right now, you need to be allowing contestants to be aware of, right? You can't ambush them if they're not allowed to have phones and see those things. This is something you would find out pretty early on in someone you dated. Now, I had Matt James on my podcast and I asked him, I was like, day one, I'd be like, let's talk about some social issues because that's who I am, right? <laughs> I would want to know off the bat if there was anything that was an absolute deal breaker for me. Maybe they don't do that on the show because it's on TV and I would still do it. And I'd be like, you guys want to cut this out? Fine. But I'm still going to get these questions in. Right. But I don't think it's fair if they're limited in terms of their ability to see the full scope of a person that they're dating. That's positive in a lot of ways. You don't mess with a bunch of dumb stuff and play games, but you also miss out on things that might be very important later. So anyway, the point is Rachel Lindsay did an interview with Chris Harrison about this contestant and some of the issues and how this show was handling it, particularly as a show that for years has been criticized for not having enough people of color, particularly as the bachelor or bachelorette or using them as sort of like props early on. Immediately they get eliminated and then you can wash your hands of it and say you tried. Chris Harrison, if you watch the full whatever, 12 minutes, it's not just tone deaf. It's bad. He says woke police like 25 times. He says like, oh, well, we're going to take down statues. Are we going to like dig up the dirt underneath them in case that's also got a problem? Who am I? Who are you to like say anything about this girl? And like he's kind of yelling and he's angry and he appears to be someone who has spent zero time thinking about these issues. And my point here is not that he, the bachelor and their issues with race are the biggest picture, but that I think... We should be well past the point where when someone does something that reveals them to be fully racist, like the guy who was calling the, the girls high school um, sports and said effing N words yeah. about the girls on the court during the anthem. We need to stop saying he needs to learn. Let's but give him another chance when it's Chris Harrison and your show has been in the spotlight and the news for probably eight or nine years as something that needs to better address race issues and understand their own role in them. And you very clearly have not done a lick of work on it. And it was so clear from his interview that he had not chosen ever to remotely educate himself. And Rachel did such a good job being graceful during the interview, but asking him stuff like, Chris, what would I be at an antebellum plantation party? Well, if I showed up, what would I be? And she would be a slave. That's why it's insensitive to romanticize those times. And the fact that he clearly had never thought about it, to me, is the issue that we need to, especially as white people, be pushing. No more excuses. This has been an issue in our country for centuries. This has been an issue in your life predominantly multiple times. Do not say that George Floyd and the last year is the amount of time that you've been given to educate yourself. And even since then, you've had plenty of time to educate yourself. If you're still saying and doing things that are not just racist, but are not anti-racist, where it's clear that you don't care because it doesn't affect you, I don't have any sympathy or patience for you. I'm done with that. We got to stop doing that because guess what that does, Fitz? 
Nobody ever changes. There's no real accountability. Nothing really bad ever happens to anyone when they act like a moron who doesn't give a shit because it hasn't affected their privileged life. We got to start being a lot tougher on people who are very clearly not engaging because they don't care. That's not medium and neutral anymore. That's on the wrong side of things. And this is a perfect example where we'll see what happens to Chris in the future. He's off for the after the final rose tonight. Emmanuel Acho's doing it. Next season's going to be hosted by two previous bachelorettes instead of him. I don't know if it's full-time. I'm sure he's still producing and everything. I don't know what happens to him specifically. But to people like him in general, we need to be much tougher because it's clearly not working and it hasn't been working for centuries. The the laziest part, and by the way, what you just said was beautiful and one of the reasons I love working with you. Um, Thank you. The laziest part of Chris in this situation is like, I've learned to, in my life, I think, look around and say, okay, we don't have the answers to everything all the time. That's fine. But there are resources available to all of us to get those answers and get understanding. And what I don't understand, and, and I will go back like in my own life over the last year and a half, particularly the number of times I've called people like Macho or L. Duncan or people in my life of color that I can look at and say, hey, what do I not see here? What do I need to know? And how can I be a better mm-hmm. advocate? They're very mm-hmm. simple questions to answer. And it doesn't mean that every answer you get is the one that immediately, you know, hits you, hits your heart and says, there it is. But there, there are so many resources available, not just for Chris, but every one of us. Before you stand in front of a microphone, you have a personal obligation mm-hmm. to educate yourself. And that's if you're so lazy that you're not willing to do that, then you aren't neutral. That It's just that simple. Like you can't be in these situations. You can't come out, stand in front of a microphone, say all of the wrong things and then turn around and say, well, I just didn't know because the opportunity to find out is there for all of us. You just got to ask the tough questions. You got to be willing to feel dumb for a minute to get better understanding. And then you have to do a better job of listening. That's all, th- Those are things that all of us have people in our lives that we can do that with. And if we don't, then you got to look in the mirror for a long time and say, hey, why don't I have people in my life that I can ask these questions to? Like, these are all things. It's information that's available to us in today's world. And to do anything less than be better than that is just not only lazy, but it's just outright the wrong thing to do. Well, and you mentioned lazy. Lazy is the best case scenario, right? And that's That's what I'm saying about Chris. Best case scenario is that he is so privileged that he doesn't care because he's never had to think about what it is to move through life and have to deal with these things. And because it's never touched him, he doesn't have to work hard to understand it. That's the best case scenario, which is bad. Worse than that is you really feel this way and you've been presenting whatever facade you can to just move through without touching any big triggers to set people off to realize that that your opinions are trash, right? Um, and that that's also the thing. We got to let, we got to, be able to dig in and find out if people are hiding truly damaging opinions. And people may say, why? Who cares? Because they're the ones making, listen, you could be a judge, a police officer, a parole person, um, a, a massive person who's doing a ton of hiring. You could have a really important position in this world. And if you're harboring all those feelings, it's affecting every decision you make and continuing systemic oppression and racism. And if we need to root those people out and stop letting them get away with like, ah, if I just soft shoe around this, no one will know how I really feel. One of the reasons it's hard for me to give lazy benefit of the doubt to somebody like Chris particularly, though, is what he does for a living. Like when mm-hmm. you are attached to projects, especially when you're attached as a producer, but when you're attached to a project where you're in front of the camera or you're in front of a microphone, you and I know this, like what you say has consequence. And mm-hmm. when you say the wrong thing, man, you got to quickly look at it and say, why did I say it? What did I do? And and how can I get better from it For to to come back 
from that sort of situation is particularly difficult. Like I hold Ryan Seacrest, for example, to a higher standard than I would hold some person that's never stood in front of a microphone because Seacrest understands the power of his words, the power of the image that he's created, the power of the image he's sculpting and everything that he does. That's the same, like guys like Chris are in the same, same pot, basically. Everybody's part of that. When you're in this business, you understand the emphasis of what you say and how it will craft the way people view you or perceive you. And if you choose to be indifferent to that, you have the education to know that you can't be indifferent to that and still walk away unscathed. So it, it's not lazy at that point. It becomes sort of the worst case scenario in the opposite way, right. which is that reflects his values. And that's, that's which is what I'm saying situation. about his position yeah. with that show. When your show has been in the news for this for probably a decade, when you've had people like Rachel Lindsay on and you've sat across from her and and acted, maybe you did feel this way about her personally and you separate that from the larger issue, but acted concerned about the racial abuse that she got online as the Bachelorette and all that stuff. And it never occurs to you, well, let me look a little into this deeper to the point where you're saying, well, an antebellum party now would be bad. But in 2018, yes, in 20, that's two years ago, dude, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I just want to get that off my chest because I... I think that we err too much on the side of wanting to forgive and forget and move on because we don't want to be uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable to sit in the work of trying to get people to evolve. And we want to skip that part and either demand them be canceled or demand that we immediately forgive. There's a lot of work in between both of those. (laughs) And some people can do the work and say, I was wrong. Here's all the ways I was wrong. I got better. That's that's what we want. We don't want to just cancel people forever. We want them to evolve. So give them a chance to, but don't give any forgiveness or any second chances or anything until the work is done. Sit in the uncomfortableness. That's the only way anything changes. And we're not doing that. We're just like deciding whether something's bad enough to be gone forever or not bad enough that we want to just move past it and brush over it and not have to deal with it. Well, this is why I'm glad she's back. Sarah Spain, (laughs) Jason Fitz. We're just getting started. This is the pre-show Uh, But there's a ton to get into tonight on Spain and Fitz. So stick around with us. Check it out. And thanks, as always, for hanging out with us. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're back. That's right. We somehow managed to take one of the busiest days. We got bracket reactions from the men. We got the women's bracket about to be announced. Drew Brees retired. The Patriots are spending a ton of money and all of us are at least one hour of sleep behind, but we're back. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I am coming in hot off vacation, refreshed, full of takes. I saved all my takes up for many days, and here we are ready to unleash them. We're going to get into Breeze. We're going to get into the women's bracket as those start to come out, and Gino Oriama testing positive for COVID, how that's going to affect UConn, but let's Uh, Let's start with what we saw yesterday, and I want to ask you the most basic big picture fits about yesterday and Selection Sunday and the brackets being revealed. Jason Williams said this morning, Jay, on on KJ&Z, you know, he wanted to be excited. He is excited about the tournament, but it just didn't feel the same without the videos of the teams getting surprised and everything else. And then Greeny said it did feel normal. He was super excited and everything's coming back into into form post-COVID. What was your reaction? Which side were you on? 
Yeah, Sarah, to me, this felt absolutely incredible yesterday. And not just because we were watching brackets be released, but also because of the chatter that was happening during all of it. Like, you know, for for me growing up as a kid, as a UNLV fan, like I knew that my team wasn't going to be in the bracket. That's fine. You know, but (laughs) I always watch every year and just say, okay, how does this thing play out? And this year, one of the most exciting things to me was just seeing so many of my friends texting me during this. And it felt like a normal moment for once. So I'm absolutely with Greeny. The way it was presented, uh, I thought everybody did a really nice job. The way they they brought it out. And yeah, maybe the celebrations were different as teams were distanced. And, uh, you know, you had webcams and all of the delays that happened. But that is so much, that's such a small fraction of the experience of March Madness. To me, for the first time in a year, it felt like, okay, we can breathe a little sigh of relief, especially if you're a college basketball fan. Remember, Virginia is the defending national champion because we didn't even get a tournament last year. So <laughs> like, to remember. I'll take normalcy all day. Yeah, I'm closer to that side as well. I think because things have been so disrupted to the point that we didn't even have a tournament last year, a weird tournament feels much closer to normal than it does uh, to, for me to be too down on it. Um, a lot of the reactions, of course, now going forward will both be about, you know, the usual way we approach making our brackets, debating whether people got jobbed out of the seed that they deserved and all that. But there will also be more COVID talk infiltrating what we do going forward. And that's because we know Virginia's not traveling to Indy till Friday. Uh, Most of the Cavs roster is in quarantine until Thursday. We know, of course, that there are still question marks around Kansas and the Jayhawks players that aren't traveling. What does this mean for how difficult any given you know, a number one seed might have it in terms of their field. Um, All of this is going to come into play as we try to guess at what's always a weird thing to try to make predictions about, right? The March Madness has a name for a reason, but this adds another little element here. And Bill Self, the head coach of Kansas, was on Bracketology talking about how his team is approaching this. We're not positive. I I think it could run right up until Thursday or Friday before we could have those. uh, uh, But we're practicing you know, with all the players we have available to us now, we, we worked out yesterday, we worked out today. Hopefully we'll be able to get one in tomorrow. So uh, uh, we will be minus uh, uh, those two players that didn't travel to the Big 12 to a certain day this week. But we don't know exactly what that day is yet. They they're still have to clear some, some, uh, uh, some testing protocols before they can get on the plane to come to Indy. So Fitz, they're hoping to get to Indy with a healthy, healthy but smaller group and then wait on the other guys. Same goes for Virginia. A lot of question marks, but they are hoping to be able to get out there and, and they'll have to show two negative tw- tests 12 hours apart before playing in the first round. How are you viewing specifically those two teams? I think it's going to be difficult because one thing we've seen throughout the course of the year is that any gap creates some sort of rust coming off of it. Now we've seen some long gaps this year. Uh, but when you start talking about Kansas and Virginia, I don't, it's going to absolutely impact. It might not impact our first-round games, but I think it will impact the course of the, the trajectory overall because every single time we've seen these shutdowns, teams come back, they're a little rusty. So I, you don't have that wiggle room in March Madness at all when you're already trying to prepare for somebody that you you haven't prepared for. So absolutely going to impact both of them. And you know what just hit me, Sarah? This like epiphany. The, 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 the clouds open and I realize something. <laughs> Jay Will feels like it's not a normal NCAA tournament because 
Duke's not in it for the first time since 1995. Right. That's and a great point. <laughs> that brings me so much joy to say it. Duke's not in the NCAA tournament uh, for the first time since 1995. So that's why it doesn't feel normal to Jay Will because he watched the whole time and never had to listen to the yeah. words Duke at all. I just had to troll a little bit. No, no we can go. That's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Guest going to join us on the Goodyear hotline. You're right about that. And there's a moment of celebration there. And then there's the disappointment of like, wait. Who are we going to hate then? You always are going to find the guy on Duke that's, you know, tripping people or playing dirty or just has a snotty look on his face. Uh, We're going to need to dig a little deeper, everybody, for America to unite over our combined hatred of a good basketball player on a good program that we've decided to despise for really no good reason. Uh, We're going to have to look a little closer this year. It is going to be weird to have a tournament without some of those blue bloods. And we talked about it weeks ago where we were certain they would find their way in because of that. We were were, were like, they're going to find a way to get Duke in because in a year like this, especially with concerns about players being teased by the G League and other opportunities abroad, NCAA needs to come strong with those programs. Not the case. It was not enough to overcome COVID in the case of Duke and some of the issues they had. We do have some interesting number one seeds in Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and Michigan. Often we talk about if you haven't lost, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Do you know how to handle adversity? Do you sphincter punk? Does it pucker up when you get in a tough game because you haven't lost yet? What do you think about that and Gonzaga entering this tournament? Gonzaga is the most interesting thing we're going to see this year because they have a real shot at going undefeated. I mean, if you look at their bracket, they've beaten the two, three, and four seeds. So they, they have an opportunity to go out and win it all this year and then be an undefeated champion for the first time since 76. I just, we've talked so much about asterisks and whether or not they belong in sports. And I'm not usually. Thank you for huge... putting all the S's in that word. That's, that's, I got to slow why I down on that you, one. Man. Let me, you nailed you know, it. It's just, it, it's one of those, like, I know I'm saying it. It's like, go oh, slow, <laughs> slow. Okay. Uh, you know, it's like, I know a speed trap's coming up. Same thing. Uh, but, you know, you have to look at Gonzaga this year, particularly, and say, are we giving them the credit that we would usually give an undefeated? Remember when Kentucky was undefeated a few years ago? Oh, God. It was all we could talk about going into the tournament. So, I think it's interesting because they're clearly the best team in college basketball. It's not close. They are the best team in college basketball. And the way they're going to lose is if they screw up at some point. I don't see that happening. I think they're going to win. I just don't know if we're going to give it the credit it deserves in the process for being an undefeated champion. Well, we haven't talked about anything in college basketball the way we have in previous years, right? There's not that superstar name. Some of the programs we're used to talking about aren't really in it. And it just has felt like such a disjointed season. It's been hard to give props to anyone for what they've done because it just hasn't felt normal. You talk about the Zags already having beaten the two, three, and four seeds this season. What's fascinating is they probably have the easiest road of a number one. But if Kansas and Virginia aren't actually hobbled at all by COVID, then it's a pretty tough road, right? You know, yeah. it's it's so dependent on just what the effects that COVID have on those two teams. Uh, We'll keep talking about all this NCAA stuff. And, of course, we want you guys to hop in on the brackets that we're doing where you can compete against us. We're going to have a Spain and Fitz bracket for the women's tournament. We'll get that bracket unveiled. It's happening right now on ESPN. They're uh, announcing the teams for the women's side. And I believe uh, Fitz will also get you weaseled in to uh, sign up for the Around the Horn men's bracket uh, so that we can find other ways for us to compete for you to lose and then uh, never follow through. on. Uh, uh, tell, hey, tell Reality <laughs> when I win that bracket, that's my audition for getting on the show. Perfect. We there, we there we go. go. <laughs> Coming up, it's the end of an era in the NFL. We're going to talk about it next. ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. 
Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And I don't think many were surprised to hear that Drew Brees announced his retirement. It sort of felt inevitable, but there were some question marks around whether the way things ended was how he wanted to go out. And uh, now we get the official word and look back on an incredible career and joining us to help us reflect former Saints wide receiver Joe Horn now on the Goodyear Hotline. Joe, thanks for the time. What's going on? How y'all doing? We're doing all right. Um, Like I said, it wasn't a super big surprise to hear that Drew was hanging it up. What was your reaction to him making it official? Um. I wasn't really, um, I wasn't really surprised, but you know, I, me knowing Drew, um, I, I know he wished he could have went out with a Super Bowl or a chance to play in the NFC Championship. To you know, to actually, I mean, well, the NFC Championship actually to win a Super Bowl. But hey, it is what it is, and he he's had a, a iconic career, obviously, and so I mean, I'm quite sure his children, his beautiful wife. He'll enjoy it. It'll take a, probably a year and a half or something to get to, for it to settle in, but it didn't surprise me at all because he, he's, he's, he, he gave New Orleans a Super Bowl. He gave him a, like I said, an iconic career, um, especially in, in Louisiana and New Orleans. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Drew and his family. So, Joe, obviously the Saints were a really good football team last year, but some of the analysis on uh, Drew was up and down during the course of this particular season. How does that impact when you're coming off of a great year for your team overall? How does that impact the decision to walk away from most guys? Well, I mean, there's so many different probably scenarios that we don't know about inside the building. You just never know what other things that were happening. Um and, and, and Drew probably just didn't want to have to go through that another year. So having the type of career he's had, man, to go out when you want to go out is, a, is, a, is amazing. So, like I say, I, my hat's off to him, him and his family. And I'm quite sure being with his boys, being with his wife, his family, he get an opportunity now, man, to, to do what he wants to do and go into – I guess he's going into broadcasting from what I'm hearing – that's another awesome thing that he wants to carry over. So, and he has some. I know he has a lot of businesses that he has. So, I'm happy for him, man. But as far as all the other chaos behind closed doors or whatever, only Drew know. I haven't talked to him personally about why he 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 actually retired. I don't even know if he want to. He'll give me that information. But he's he's retired now, and he he's definitely um, a Hall of Famer. Saints wide receiver Joe Horn with us on Spain and Fitz. Yeah, three sons and a daughter and plenty of businesses and now broadcasting. He certainly won't be without something to do. But the question always for some of the best is how to replace that feeling of competitiveness and that that drive. And I remember seeing some stories in the last couple months, and I, I think it was Seth Wickersham, but I'm not positive, talking about, you know, he came to ESPN to do some some, you know, content stuff, do the, 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 the car wash and spent his breaks in the middle of the lawn in, in Bristol doing workouts while people were just having lunch. I'm like, is that Drew Brees? Like he couldn't even take one afternoon off. Can you sort of speak to that aspect of, of his drive and why it caught, got him so much success? Well, that's, that's what he had. He, he has, he had, he had that when he came my first year with Drew after practice, Drew wanted to be perfect timing routes. A lot of people, a lot of guys didn't understand how he was so accurate without not a strong arm, but it was the consistency of his practicing with, uh, with the guys after practice. And it was repetitions, repetitions, repetitions. And if you do that with your athletic career, 
business, everything else that you do is going to be that way. That's why it wouldn't surprise me if I was in Connecticut and Drew was out on the on the grass mm-hmm. throwing, I mean, throwing throwing balls or working out because I probably would have been with him because of my because of my my willingness to win, always be on top, always be the first one through the door, the last one out. That's what you got to have. That's why he's going to be successful with his businesses, with anything that he's doing. Anybody, not just Drew Brees, anybody who has a work ethic like that to be the greatest is going to. It's, it's not a surprise to me at all. We're talking to former Saints wide receiver Joe Horn, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Joe, obviously you were with them in New Orleans. We've heard a lot Damn, about his cupcake. meaning. We, uh, we, we've heard a lot about his meaning. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did you just wait. drop cupcakes? And are they okay? Oh, yeah. You dropped them? My wife them? is going to slap me on my damn head. What, what kind I of dropped, cupcakes you got, her, Joe? Her, cupcake, her friend's um, birthday, she, they had a birthday, so she, they have um, this, uh, what is it called, bachelor's night? So she has to stop by and get yeah, stuff to the, go the to the bachelor's bachelor night. finale tonight, got, very important. Right, she got the cupcakes, and here I am trying to control them, and I dropped them and turned them over, and she almost came through the front seat. Well, you know, if, if you're dropping, like, you got great hands. Like, I yeah. should drop cupcakes. Yeah. You you don't drop anything, Joe. I mean, we all know lost this. A, he's lost a step, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I lost, yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm a little older now, so I mean, I, I lost a step. So, Joe, tell us about, like, we've heard so much about Breeze in New Orleans. You were there. What does he mean to that city? Uh, he means everything as far as um, uh, being a leader on and off the football field. I mean, I, it's easy to talk about. Drew, because I've been there and I've been around him, and I know what he stands for. Uh, it was a sad situation that happened in the past. I mean, what, what, what he said earlier, but he got through that. He got over that, he got through it, and he kept pushing. But, man, they have to love him in New Orleans. Drew brought a Super Bowl to that city. Him and the other guys did, too, but he was leading out in the front, him and Sean Payton. So you can't take that away from the man. So they love him in New Orleans. They love every, every person that comes through that shows love not just on the football field that makes the fans happy, but shows them off the football field that they're also as genuine as their athletic ability are is on the football field. And that's Drew Brees. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Joe Horn. Joe, um, you know, he's a very polished guy. You rarely see him really let his hair down or, um, you know, step outside of what we're used to from a franchise quarterback. Tell us something we don't know about about Breeze. Maybe, you know, uh, something that he's embarrassed by or something where he gets a little wild and outside of the expectations. Well, I wouldn't be a good friend to come on the national radio and tell you something that may, be, that may embarrass him that he's comfortable <laughs> around his buddies doing. So I definitely don't know that because I haven't hung around Drew to the point of knowing something that he would do that he would not like anyone outside right, of his right. group to know about. Tom Brady, uh, some of the guys that he golfs with in the offseason probably will have to let you in on some of those secrets. But <laughs> I do know a lot of people probably don't know that Drew's a scratch golfer. Mm. Oh, look at that. If I'm not mistaken. I think from the last time I've seen him and I heard he was a scratch golfer. I mean, he's a great athlete. He beat Andy Roddick in tennis when they were kids. Uh, so obviously, he's he's, uh, <laughs> he's got some skills outside of the football field. No doubt, no doubt. Joe, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Enjoy your cupcakes, man. Like, go go take care of the cupcakes, especially if they have cream cheese frosting, because that's the only way cupcakes should ever kind. be handled. Yeah, and uh, well, we appreciate I, um, you. Come- <laughs> I don't. I don't. Um, these cupcakes are for the girls at the bachelor. 
I don't eat sweets. Um, you know, I'm all, I'm one. I'm 210 pounds of twisted steel with a sex appeal. You know the deal. <laughs> I don't eat sweets. I don't. I just drink alkaline water, buddy. Wow, oh, impressive. Man, By the way, uh, tell your wife and all the ladies at the bachelor party, Team Michelle. Team, I'm Team Michelle. I hope they're Team Michelle. Let's hope it works oh, hold out on. tonight. She can tell, hold on, you can tell her yourself. You should <laughs> her name is Jacqueline. Jacqueline, Jacqueline, <laughs> we're, we're, team, we're Michelle. team Michelle. Absolutely. Okay. Want to make sure? Want to make sure we're on the same page here? Team Michelle for the Bachelor <laughs> finale tonight. Enjoy the cupcakes and tell. Sorry, uh, we almost blew the ch- cupcakes. We appreciate yeah, you, Jacqueline. Sorry about that. Thanks That's for coming all right. on. That's all right. I'll let him off the hook this time. <laughs> See you guys. Thanks. Uh, Joe Horn right. and his wife also Team Michelle. Hashtag Team Michelle. Fits you, Team Michelle. Uh, I'm yes because you yeah. are. I'm also Team Joe Horn on like I gotta I'm, I'm have to run it back and learn exactly what he said and put like Just my weight in there. Twisted steel yeah. and sex appeal. Twisted steel of sex appeal. I don't know. Yeah, All, it doesn't sound as good for me. You're not yeah. a liar, so I don't think you should adopt <laughs> that as anything relating to you. Spain oh and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, we'll bring in an expert to get us ready for the men's NCAA tournament. Is Gonzaga ready to run the table? What about the teams affected by COVID? So many questions, perhaps the maddest of March Madness yet. We'll have an expert walk us through it. It's all coming up next on ESPN Radio. It's Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Feels so good to say it. March Madness is upon us. We actually have a tournament to start getting ready for. And we're going to get some expertise now to help us along the way. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And uh, look, we said it earlier, this this year, I think, particularly is going to be impossible for anybody to predict. It's always difficult at March Madness. But now, when you're trying to figure out which team was good and which team wasn't and how to weigh anything that we saw in the regular season, it's tough to get a sense of. So we're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline where Gary Parrish, our buddy from CBSSports.com, joins us. You can listen to the Gary Parrish Show on 92.9 FM ESPN in Memphis every single day. Gary, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, the committee spoke yesterday. We'll start with the easiest thing here. Any real issues with what they decided? Not really. I mean, we, we could nitpick it, but the truth is, you know, I, I had a, a projected bracket. 68 of the teams that I had in my field were in their field. The only difference is I had Louisville in, Wichita State out. They had Wichita State in and Louisville out. So, again, minor discre- discrepancies. I thought the one seeds were all correct. The two seeds were all correct. Again, if you want to nitpick it, um, I don't understand still to this moment. And I talked to one of the committee co-chairs last night, and he couldn't offer any explanation why on the official seed list, Drake as an at-large team was below Oregon State and Georgetown, two teams that won automatic bids and were widely considered to be bid stealers. In fact, Mitch Barnhart, the athletic director at Kentucky and committee chair, identified them as bid stealers, basically said those two teams winning those tournaments pushed Louisville and Colorado State out of the field. So how does a bid stealer, in other words, a team that would not have been in the tournament if not for getting an auto bid, sit ahead of an at-large team in the seed list? There's no good explanation for that. It seems to be just a, a mistake. But again, if we're talking about Drake and Oregon State and Georgetown, that deepened the bracket, then again, we're just probably nitpicking. I thought they mostly did a good job. Gary Parrish with us talking the men's NCAA bracket. We look at the roads for the number one seeds, and you could argue that the Zags have it easiest, especially with Virginia and Kansas having issues with COVID being teams they've beaten. 
You could also say toughest because there's a real question mark about exactly what you're getting with those teams, and they're quite good when they're healthy. What do you make of that that part of the bracket? Sir, I, I think um, the former is correct. I think it's it's I'd lean toward easier than harder, and it's because um, they they have a path that could include multiple games that we've already seen. Mm-hmm. You know, if this goes a certain way, they would play. Uh, Virginia in the Sweet 16. Uh, we've already watched them beat Virginia by double digits. The game wasn't really competitive. And then, uh, of course, in the Elite Eight, if it breaks a certain way, they could either play Iowa or Kansas. They beat both of those teams by double digits. Neither game was really competitive. So if you want to make the argument that uh, perhaps it's hard to beat somebody two times and maybe you will lack a little focus because you already handled them so easily, I, I, I could listen to that, sure. But I think when you're chasing history the way the Zags are, not just a championship, but trying to be an undefeated national champion, the first one we've had since 1976, I don't think lack of focus is a real thing. Like, they're going to be ready to go from the jump. So, um, listen, I was going to take Gonzaga to go to the Final Four, no matter who was in their bracket, but I feel better about it considering who is actually in their their side of the bracket. We're talking to Gary Parrish. Again, you can listen to the Gary Parrish Show on 92.9 FM ESPN in Memphis, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Gary, I feel like every time I talk to you at all, we always talk about the Big Ten, but the weekend didn't clear anything up for me. I mean, Illinois and Ohio State go down to the buzzer. Again, I know a little inconsistent towards the end of the year, but when you look at the Big Ten, who in your mind has the best shot at a national championship out of that conference? I don't think it's close, and I think it's Illinois. Um, you know, we spend so much time, those of us who work in, in the sport, talking about recruiting classes every year. Five-star prospects, number one recruiting class in America, so on and so forth. And sometimes that really does determine the national championship. 2012, Kentucky is a great example. 2015, Duke is a great example. But more often than that, when you look at the national champion and try to, you know, go through the roster, what you'll find is that they probably had somebody on that team, if not multiple people on that team, who could have very reasonably entered the previous NBA draft and maybe actually did enter the previous NBA draft but decided to come back and do one more year of school for whatever reason. I say all that to say that's exactly what Illinois is. You know, they were probably going to be ranked unranked in the preseason, you know, unless Kofi Coburn and Io DeSumo withdrew from the NBA draft. They did it you know, within two days of the deadline. And they immediately went from, again, team probably unranked to a preseason top five team. And though they had some struggles along the way, the truth is you could argue that they've been playing better than anybody and that anybody includes Gonzaga. They're 14-1 in their past 15 games. They've beaten Iowa. They've beaten Michigan. They've beaten Wisconsin. They've beaten Ohio State twice. They are rocking and rolling right now. And if you are trying to identify, I think, the biggest threat to Gonzaga in this entire thing, it is probably Illinois. It's Spade and Fitz. We're talking about the men's NCAA bracket. Gary, you're on top of all this every year. You watch as much as anybody. How difficult was it this year, or will it be if you haven't finished yet, to look at this bracket and guess at any upsets, guess at any team's that might be more talented than what we've seen because of scheduling. What are you even using to decide that? Just the eye test? Yeah, well, you know what? I, I can admit I'm not great at this. And the reason is because <laughs> I, I, I do watch. 
All right, so see much. you, Gary. Thanks for no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I watch. I watch so much, and I, you know, I rank teams every morning, and so then you get the bracket in front of you, and it's very difficult for me to pick a team to beat another team that I've been watching for three months, and I know is not as good as that other team. Right. So it's hard for me to pick upsets. Like, why would I think right now that uh, I don't know North Texas would beat Purdue? Like, North Texas is a nice team. They've got a really nice point guard. But Purdue is clearly the better team, Um, according to all the metrics, according to um, your eyeballs, according to a a resume breakdown. If you look at the rankings on the players coming out of high school, every single box would check Purdue. But they'll play that game in a couple days, and North Texas might win it. You know, that's the way the NCAA tournament goes every single year. And so the only time I have a great bracket is when the, the teams that are supposed to be there at the end are actually there at the end. Like, I think my best bracket ever was probably 2008. Why? Because all four number one seeds made it to the Final Four. That's the type of stuff I usually pick. So to answer your question uh, more specifically, I, I would say it is difficult, not only because we haven't seen as many games and we didn't see as many non-conference games, mm-hmm. but um, we don't know who's playing for these teams. Like, Virginia is bringing some people to – Indianapolis leaving some behind. Kansas is bringing some people to Indianapolis, leaving some behind. We don't know who's going to get popped while in the bubble and what contact tracing will do. So there's a scenario, and fingers crossed nothing like this happens, but Gonzaga is getting ready to play a Elite Eight game against Iowa, and four hours before tip-off, Corey Kispert tests positive for COVID. They contact trace Jalen Suggs, and now Gonzaga's without its two lottery picks trying to go to the Final Four. Again, that's an extreme high-profile example, but you'd be crazy to rule it out. All right, so Gary, who you got? What's your, what's your national championship for us? I got Gonzaga and Illinois. Probably picked up on that by the mm. things I was saying previously. And then I've got the Zags winning the national championship. You know, we used to think of them as, oh, that's just like – plucky little, you know, team out at West that's really, really good and dominates their league. But I don't know if they've got players like Duke has players and Kentucky has players. And that's just not the case anymore. You know, Gonzaga, uh, you know, this is a team that is obviously undefeated at 26-0. They are number one in the entire country in offensive efficiency. They're top 10 in defensive efficiency. They're fourth in tempo. So they're tremendous on offense, elite on defense, They get up and down the court as fast as anybody. They've got the number one effective field goal percentage in America. They've got the number one two-point field goal percentage in America. They don't just have great college players. I mean, these guys are great college players, but they've got two lottery picks in Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert. I mean, those two players who might go in the top ten of the NBA draft. You know, Gonzaga might be the only team that's got that kind of top-shelf NBA talent multiple places on the court. They're deep to the point where foul trouble doesn't really cause an issue. I think this team would be tremendous in any league and possibly undefeated in any league. I'm not saying they're unbeatable. They're not. But this is an excellent, excellent basketball team that is one of the best, according to the metrics, in in modern college basketball history. It it would be a shame if they didn't complete this and gave all of their detractors uh, another bullet to shoot at them whenever they wanted. So um, selfishly, um, even though I've got no actual connection to Gonzaga, I grew up in the South and still live there. I would like to see the Zags do this only because it would prevent people from continuing to say they can't. 
You guys can follow him on Twitter at Gary Parish CBS. Again, uh, you can read him on CBSSports.com and listen to the Gary Parish Show, 92.9 FM ESPN in Memphis. Gary, as always, my friend, we appreciate you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, you're always nice to have me. Take care, guys. The college Thanks, basketball Gary. season has reached tournament time. That means the Wendy's Wooden Watch has announced the final ballot. Go to ESPN.com. Search Wooden Watch for the list of the Wooden Award late season top 15 nominees. The John R. Wooden Award presented by Wendy's. Okay, that was some of the men's bracket, but the women's brackets are out. Coming up, we'll get you caught up on that, plus some news today about one of the top teams in the tournament. We'll break it down for you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM channel 80. Don't forget to get out there, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We gave you a little bit extra today. We've been apart for a little while. Our, our hearts were empty. So we uh, we came together. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, gave you a little pre-show tonight. <laughs> you don't want to miss it. Uh, some oh, strong statements. Yeah, it is. Some strong statements about The Bachelor and also uh, a lot of deep dive into the Grammys. So some of the stuff we don't have time to get into tonight, you can actually get to right there. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection just got easier. More than 30 coverage options available. Progressive has you covered more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Now, we were just talking about the men's bracket and what it means, uh, obviously, trying to break it all down. I think, Sarah, Gary made a really good point that's going to tie into both brackets when it comes to COVID-19. We have to understand that this is still something that everybody's going to be dealing with. And in fact, on the men's side, there's this little window right now. We are in this tiny window of opportunity for a team that didn't make the tournament to be essentially called up from the bullpen if there's a COVID-19 issue with one of the teams uh, that got in. There's a 48-hour window. Once that that window closes, though, it's just you're there or you're not. If there's a COVID issue that causes the team to miss a game, it's a forfeiture, and we will just move on in the tournament. So there's a possibility a team could advance in the tournament this year or even win a championship without having to play the normal number of games, which is a little staggering for people to wrap their heads around. Yeah, what's fascinating is the possibility of being mid-tournament and just getting a bye, right? Like, we've never seen that before, which would be the result if something major like that would happen. What's also interesting is, of course, that we've got these sort of standby squads if there is a spread in that first 48 hours where you will take someone whose bubble was burst and they will get a shot. So right now there was no bra- uh, you know, Band-Aid ripped off, you didn't make it because the top teams are still sitting there thinking, ooh, we might get in here. And it's funny because in sports, when we talk bubbles, we are always talking about the people who may or may not make the NCAA bracket. But for the last year, bubble has been something very different, right? It's been, <laughs> you know, what we have the NBA season in and it works out or what the, you know, the WNBA plays in or the NWSL has a bubble to get the challenge cup in. Now we've got not only the lack of bubble, the pseudo bubble for this tournament in Indy, but you've got bubble teams that are acting like kind of like those quarterbacks we heard about in the NFL where, you know, we, we hear about people who are just going to be living their lives and watching tape from a different state. And then if things go terribly wrong, they'll get called up to play. That's kind of what these, you know, b- bubble edge teams are now, at least through the first 48 hours of the tournament. Yeah, it's a weird concept as you break it down that way to, to think about, you know, you went from 
you're going to be living in the bubble, uh, on the bubble, to try and live in the bubble. Like it's <laughs> yeah. it's all very strange, but it's impacting the women's side too. Now we'll get you caught up in just a second. The women's brackets are out, but one major piece of news around women's college basketball today is that UConn's head coach Gino Ariema is going to be uh, out at least for right now. He has a positive COVID nineteen test. An important message around it too, Sarah, because he has a positive test even though he has gotten the vaccine. So this yeah. is a little bit of a shaking moment for people that may not understand the protocols and the process around that. This is sort of like a valuable life lesson happening from sports that really hits everybody all across the world. Yeah, I would like to hope that people know this by now, but two big things about this vaccine. First, three things I'll say. Number one, it does not provide you complete and total immunity. If you get it, you might still have some minor symptoms, but it will help a ton. Number two, just because you have it doesn't mean you can't give it to other people. So even if you're vaccinated, at least until we have many more people vaccinated, you should still be wearing a mask and being safe around people who have not been vaccinated. And number three, as it relates to Gino Oriema, there is, depending on whether you got Johnson & Johnson or Moderna or others, a multi-week time period after the second shot where you can still contract COVID. And that's what happened with Gino. So even though he's gotten both shots, he had, I think, nine or ten more days within that window until they, they think that you're at your strength of the immunity that it provides. And, you know, Fitz, it's it's UConn, right? We like to think they coast through the early rounds. So um, the hope would be that this isn't a massive uh, issue for them and for Gino and that he'll be able to come back. He is asymptomatic, Um which is what you'd expect from someone vaccinated, right? Make it mild, make it rare, but it doesn't mean he can't spread it, so he has to stay away from the team. Um, I don't think that gives much hope to the people in the path of UConn, right? Especially not High Point, who just very enthusiastically celebrated their birth and then looked in, oh, our first opponent is UConn. <laughs> Which, actually, I have this question for you, because I was kind of joking on Twitter with a funny meme of, like, super excited to super sad, like, we're in, and we're playing UConn. But if you didn't think you had a good shot of advance, and now, of course, you want to have confidence if you're the attorney, but if you didn't think you had a great shot, would you be like, listen, at least if we play UConn, everyone's watching. Like, if we get bounced in the first round, a whole bunch of people are going to be watching and getting eyeballs on us because we're playing Paige Becker's a company. I think that for me, I go back to what they always say where college sports are the front porch of every university, which is the dorkiest phrase, and I can't believe that. What does that even mean? I don't think I've even ever heard of that. Okay, so I, I will be honest. I haven't like done I, enough shows of digital college shows like you have. No, when I first started working at all in college football, I would hear a lot of people that, that cover the sport all the time say, college sports are the front ports. And I always rolled my eyes at it. Now I find <laughs> myself saying it sometimes. I'm like, this will not become part of my lexicon. Uh, but the, the whole concept being that like it's advertising everything about your school. So the more eyeballs, the better. And just like curb appeal on you know HGTV, the better your curb appeal for your program, the more kids that may become interested. It, it yeah. explains sort of the uptick that we see in enrollment after big runs for unknown schools. So with that mindset, though, I do have to look at it and say what you want are the most eyeballs. So frankly, even if that means that you got your butt kicked by UConn, but people liked your uniform, so they liked the way your coach handled himself, or they seemed to like the way people played. Like, you never know what someone's going to gravitate to. So I think it makes more sense to get you just trashed by UConn, but have the most eyeballs possible, because you'll have more more eyeballs in that one game than you will in an entire run. knowing the way that the, the the eyeballs gravitate towards everything that they do. Totally agree. Even if you get your butt whooped, there's plenty of talented basketball players in this country who, of course, would love to go to UConn and are not going to get in. So watching another team 
like a high point that maybe you didn't know about their program, play UConn, and uh, it just opens up right. So I, I think it's a positive, um, but they, they're going to get their butts whooped. Yeah, well, they are. And, and what we do know at this point is the uh, the brackets have started to be released for the women. We do know, uh, obviously, UConn a one seed. Also, Stanford, uh, South Carolina, and North Carolina State were awarded number one seeds for the women's tournament. So NC State, uh, first number one, I think. Which is incredible, by the way. And one of the things that you you know you mentioned the the digital work I've done. I was working all season on Saturdays in college basketball, and the amount of highlights that we were pulling from women's college basketball every single week speaks to the athleticism and better rounded sport that it's become. I mean, it is more competitive than people realize. So the funny mm-hmm. thing is that UConn is out here dominating because they're great, but that doesn't mean, as it has in some years past in the minds of many, that the rest of the field is not capable. There are a mm-hmm. lot of capable players right now. In fact, UConn has been out for a while where they haven't been mm-hmm. in the mix for the championship. A lot of people who haven't been paying attention are still thinking UConn's uh, un- unstoppable. There's really good programs that have caught up. Yeah, by the way, a women's selection chair Nina King is going to join us at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, so you can check that out. We'll ask her the questions, much like we heard yesterday on how they made their decisions and what factored in to all of it as we keep you updated on March Madness. In the meantime, though, uh, obviously it's NFL Free Agency Day and Drew Brees retired all over the weekend. So there's one trend that has been popping into free agency over the last few days that I have questions about. We're going to bring in an expert to explain it and the and how the NFL should put it to an end. We'll do that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. It fits on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And it was a massive weekend and that has led to a massive day in the NFL. As much as we've been paying attention to college basketball, nothing can take away from the NFL attention that comes with free agency and, of course, the retirement of Drew Brees. So we're going to break it all down now. We're presented by Progressive Insurance and uh, all of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. But we'll start with some straight talk wireless Brought to Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. I'm going to learn how to talk, Sarah. That's the goal for today. Uh, and that comes in the form of a guest that can cover all of it for us. He's sort of our go-to. I joke all the time that there's a bat phone that Randy Miller uh, answers for us. Randy, thanks so much. Former NFL GM. I want to get into a question about free agency, but we'll start instead with Drew Brees. Uh, everybody knows he retired over the course of the weekend, but you were in Miami when the Dolphins were trying to bring him in. There was a lot of conversation about it. I've heard Nick Saban say that he believes if he had, if the team had signed Drew Brees, he would still be the coach in Miami. So how close was that to actually happening? You guys are trying to ruin my day, aren't you? I can tell. Uh, <laughs> Yes, that was very close to happening. We actually had a, agreed to a deal in principle, and th- this is kind of funny. I had it on a napkin in my pocket. We had a jersey made up with his name on it, ready for wow. a press conference, and all we had to do was get the physical of mere formality behind us. Oops, guess what? <laughs> the physical didn't go so good. The doctors uh, failed him, gave us some crazy low percentages. Mm. Obviously, we couldn't risk $50 million. So everything went up in smoke, and when I went into Coach Saban's office to talk about it, it was like we had both seen a ghost. It was not a good thing. Um, we tried every way we could to get some better opinions from our medical staff. It just didn't happen. And then we had to bring Drew into the mix to tell him about it. So everything, uh, this was about day three or four of free agency. So everything kind of hit the stop button, and we had to adjust and, uh, like they say on the commercial, recalculate. So it was crazy, it was bad, and it was sad, all of the above. And 
I'm kind of glad it's behind us. But, yeah, you, you mentioned the, what Nick had said. It seems like every time we're together, the topic comes up, and he always says, you know, Bo, if we'd had that one done, we'd supposed to be in Miami, you know. So it's crazy. Well, you know, we could uh, we could certainly talk to the Chargers about how today feels as well. And listen, a couple years from now, we'll still be talking about the Bears and Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. So <laughs> uh, everybody's got their story. Randy Mueller, former NFL GM with us, uh, host of the Football GM podcast. Um, let's talk about these voided years. I'm fascinated by how the NFL offseason has been panning out because of the lowered salary cap, the effects of the pandemic, um, and these voided year contracts – for those who don't understand them, first explain them and whether you think this is a wise decision for all these teams. Well, they've always been a part of some team's plans, that's for sure. This is The, the, the problems have been uh, exasperated by the COVID revenue stream drying up, no doubt about that. Really what it is there is teams attach fictitious years to the back end of a contract, and then it is triggered by some event some unlikely-to-be-earned incentive uh, that, that the person has not earned before. But at some point when that triggering mechanism happens, the years that are voidable, so to speak, in this discussion go away. But they put them on there so they can prorate signing bonus over longer periods of time. So you've heard people re- refer to just kicking the can. Well, mm-hmm. it's like if we pay cash or credit. They're paying credit cards the whole way. They're not paying cash up front. So they're spreading out their debt. They eventually have to pay it, but they hope it's at the end when caps are higher, when when uh, there's more room uh, to mess around with, I should say. And so that's really what avoidable year is. They're years that will never happen, and they're put on the, the end of deals for cap counting purposes only. I don't really believe in it too much because eventually you have to pay the piper, right? Eventually we got to pay our credit card bills. And that's what this is. And so you, you – you get yourself into a corner by charging your credit cards to the very end and then going over. It just puts you in a bad spot with less flexibility down the road, but more flexibility right now to do more with the cash on hand. So, Randy, we're talking to Randy Mueller, former NFL GM, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I'm going to put on my, my total nerd hat here for a second because well, <laughs> let's go back to 2010. All right, 2010 was an uncapped year in the NFL because of a break in the CBA and there was all of these negotiations going on. And some of the teams in that uncapped year just went out and they built contracts where they could go all willy-nilly in that year. The NFL ended up fining those teams against the cap later for violating the spirit of what was intended. How does violating, how does this, voidable years, not essentially violate the spirit of what they're trying to accomplish with the salary cap? Well, I guess because they're, they're triggered by an event that's never happened. There's another term in contract world that's, it's a likely-to-be-earned incentive or an unlikely-to-be-earned incentive, depending on if you've done it before within your performance, uh, you know, stats, performance, playtime, things like that. And that's always a way to, to give people money for really the same thing that they've done as well. So they, teams have found ways throughout the evolution of the cap to push money off and to keep charging and not paying cash. And that's what this has done. Because these voidable years are triggered by something that hasn't happened, the teams could always say, hey, this has never happened before. It's, not, it's unlikely to be earned. So we're not trying to avoid the spirit of the rule. We're just pushing some, some of our cap off if, if indeed the player does something that he's never done before. You know, as I'm looking at all these deals, and you mentioned, you know, for some of them, it's, it's I think like for the Bucks, it makes sense to kick the can down the road. Take advantage of the couple years you've got right. with, with Gronk and, and 
Brady, but some of the other teams, are they anticipating that the cap will go up so much that it just won't hurt as badly? Are they just hoping that there'll be some sort of rejiggering of things that we're yet unaware of? Um, or are there teams that you specifically look at using this and thing? this is not going to work out well for them down the road? Well, I think everybody knows that it's not always going to work out well for you. you. You just lose your flexibility down the road. I do think teams are thinking the cap is going to go up for sure. Obviously, the new TV deals are on the horizon, and that will raise the cap. But I also think there's never been more players available in the pool this year to, to gain or retool or to rebuild your team. So teams are kicking the can more so they can take a big bite out of this pool of players that's there that's kind of a one-off year, right, because teams are cutting players because of salary. So the, the Patriots are a prime example. They wouldn't spend this kind of money in a regular season. But in this year of COVID, they're seeing value out there. So they may kick the can down the road a couple times with some of their veteran players to create as much space for this year's signing cycle unlike ever before, and that's what teams are doing. They're kicking the can. They're going to take a run at some players this year that they never thought they would have gotten to be competitive and push off their debt. Eventually they'll have to pay, but they're not going to worry about it three or four years from now. You mentioned the Patriots. They've spent a boatload of money today, Randy. Is it money well spent in your mind? Well, I'm not going to question Bill Belichick, that's for sure. That's one that (laughs) will get us nowhere in this world. But they do seem to have a little money press that they're printing money up there uh, today. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you, we could have read this in his comments last year. I remember we kind of made light of the fact that he said, we've mortgaged our future for this year. It's going to be tough to spread out. You know, they kind of took the, took the hit last year with their record, with their team. This year they're going to make re- and rectify that. I think two things. One, they, they plan for this cap room to be there. Two, the, the amount of players that are there is good. But three, Let's just face it, the Patriots were bad last year. They weren't good, so they've got a lot of room to improve. But I think you can improve quicker in this offseason than any that I can remember, that's for sure. So that's what they're trying to do is take advantage of the situation. Last quick you question can... for you. Okay. Re- really quick, what do you think of Cam? I think that's a, that's a no-brainer. It's like, what, $6 million of it's guaranteed or $8 million and the rest of it is massive uh, playoff and honors-related uh, conditional money? Yeah, that's a bunch of well, what I just mentioned, the um, unearned incentives. Uh, I, I think it's a good move. I don't think he's going to be the last quarterback domino to fall for them. I think they can have him as a backup. They can have mm-hmm. him as a starter. He's got protection both ways, and so do the Patriots. So I'm not sure they're done re- realigning the quarterback room uh, in New England yet. Be sure to check out the Football GM podcast. Randy, we can't thank you enough. You always come on and give us great information. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, Randy. Anytime, guys. I enjoyed it. All right. We just gave you a little bit of news there on the Patriots, but we're going to break down. They've, they've made a ton of transactions today. What's it mean? Plus, more on the retirement of Drew Brees. That's coming up. That was some straight talk. Straight talk wireless. No contracts. No compromise. We'll get back into NFL free agency next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Drew Brees can do all the dancing he wants now, just sitting back at home, enjoying a little time off. Although he's going to be working with NBC. For like a second, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's just something about time off that always feels like a great idea until you actually have it for most people (laughs) like Drew Brees. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. 
Uh, Jason Fitz, Sarah Spain, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over 750 bucks on average. In just a few minutes, we're going to go over to the Goodyear hotline uh, to get just caught up on the NCAA Women's Tournament. Uh, obviously, uh, those uh, those came out today. That came out today, I should say. We'll talk to the selection chair in just a few minutes. So, Sarah, with all of the conversation about Drew Brees, and as much as I joke, that retirement isn't something he's really going to be favoring. This is something that if you're the Saints, you kind of anticipated. And that's why they've had Jameis Winston in the building. That's why they've had Taysom Hill in the building. It feels like the Saints had to know that this was inevitable at some point. I'm not sure there's a great shock to this. It's just the reality that every team is going to face at some point that their star quarterback is no longer the face of the franchise. That being said, I think it's hard for me to imagine a spot where there isn't some synonymous relationship between Drew Brees and the Saints, much like to this day, even though he still works with the team, John Elway is synonymous with the Broncos. I feel like this is just the closing of one chapter, but it doesn't end anything about the Saints being sort of tied together with Drew Brees for life. Forever, yeah. An ambassadorship and, and a connection to the team sim, seems uh, uh, certain. What What is interesting is uh, over the course of the year, there were moments when there was enough success to, to have a, an inkling of doubt about whether he might want to prolong his career. Um, and by the end, and especially that last game, it was kind of like, a, okay, it's time kind of feeling like you might actually be preventing success at this point instead of causing it. And he was on NBC News and the Today Show talking about the decision and said, you know, he really knew it before this season started. I've approached the last four seasons with that mentality of I'm, I'm just going to pour everything I have into the season. And then I'll give myself um, at least a, a little while after the season to, to soak in with my family and my wife, Brittany, and, and then make a, a very thoughtful decision. But mm-hmm. uh, I think going into this season, I felt like this was going to be it. And let's go get it. And Sarah, to me, that is actually really that gives my heart some peace for Drew because retirement is such a difficult decision for anybody to make. Stepping away from what you do is a difficult decision. If you feel like that's the inevitability coming on, it gives you at least the opportunity, right, to step back and enjoy the process, enjoy the ride, soak in the moments a little bit more. We, we've talked about and everybody broke down how long he stayed on the field at different times after the games to figure out what it really meant. But it speaks to the fact that if he knew this was coming – he took the moment to really appreciate it. And not every athlete gets that opportunity or has the, the, the mindset of appreciating that coming into it. So it actually gives me a lot of peace for Drew to know that that was his mindset coming into the season. Yeah, we were just talking about this with Serena Williams, remember, in the presser that she gave after the French, uh, where she gave an extra long wave and salute to the crowd. And then they asked about whether she was gone and said, I wouldn't tell you if this was my last time here, right? And that gave us a hint that if she's not going to let us know when she's almost done, we're not going to have that satisfaction of, okay, this is our last time seeing her at Wimbledon. This is our last time seeing her at the U.S. Open. When you have that, whether it's Kobe doing it, where he had that final magical game, whether that's some other players who've done sort of that farewell tour year, um, it does provide closure for the fans, too, of getting the chance to say, I've never seen them in person, or I want to go see them one last time. And particularly this season, that's a little bit tough considering there weren't fans for most of it, right? Uh, very weird season to go out on for Breeze, but I think that last game kind of told you it was time. Uh, as I said, you know, it, 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 it's better to be close to still the top and be in it than it is to uh, be absolutely leaving question marks for whether you should be benched in that final year. Um, he also had an interesting uh, comment to say about a detour in his tour of, of New Orleans when they were looking to, to pick him up with the Saints that changed everything. 
I, I feel like there was divine intervention there. Um, you know, I, I can remember like it was yesterday, Brittany and I visiting New Orleans and it was six months post Katrina and, you know, the city was just in shambles. And um, I think the saints were trying to show us the best of the city and they were trying to show us, you know, maybe some neighborhoods that were, were still intact and Hey, look, you can, you can live here. You can raise a family. You know, this is a great place. And it wasn't until Sean Payton got lost driving us back to the saints facility at one point, because keep in mind, he'd only been there a month and he got lost in Lakeview right next to the 17th street mm-hmm. canal where some of the worst flooding and destruction had occurred. And I remember seeing houses ripped off the foundations. And in fact, at one point, the car stopped and we both looked up and there was a tugboat in the middle of the road. So we had to turn around because we we couldn't pass. And that was the moment where Brittany and I looked at each other and said, this is so much more than just Mm -hmm. football. Uh, This is part of the resurrection and resurgence of one of America's greatest cities. And we have a chance to be a part of this. This is a calling. Hmm. That, I think, Sarah, speaks to so much of the legacy and why I think that we'll be talking about Breeze in New Orleans forever because it's not about the Super Bowl win as much as it's about the Super Bowl win after Katrina like that's the obvious portion of this conversation every time it's about a city that that absolutely needed him and needed that team in that moment and he was able to provide that like that's the sort of thing that is so much bigger than any of the results they had on the field and and absolutely to think that a wrong turn may have changed all of that is is just surreal yeah you know There are question marks about some of the business endeavors of Drew Brees. There was obviously a lot of conversation around his comments regarding the flag and Kaepernick before the turnabout and pivot earlier last season. Um, But what cannot be argued at all is what he's done for the community um, and how charitable he and his wife have been. That's going to be lasting in that community, along with the memories and the hope that was given by that Super Bowl win. And like you said, I'm sure and certain he will continue to be involved in that city for a long time to come. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You mentioned, and I wanted to ask you quickly about it when we talked to Randy Mueller about uh, the Patriots spending. I was thinking, this is a big deal. What's going on? This is huge. And then I saw someone point out, you know, this is a 7-9 and nine team that had more opt-outs than anyone last year that was a question mark at quarterback, last-minute signing of Cam. They need a lot. And last year was kind of like a, a gap year almost, right? It didn't seem like they put a ton in to what was going to happen. They kind of knew it was going to be a step back after Brady left. So I don't read into it as much as maybe others are. I kind of think it's just the inevitable result of a team that paused last season. That's such a good point with the pause portion of it. And a reminder that, as I, I feel I'm, I'm going to say this tone blue in the face, like Belichick and Brady are on different time frames, right? Like Belichick's responsibility is to rebuild the Patriots into somebody that can be consistently successful. Uh, Brady's time frame was right now, go win a Super Bowl. So Belichick does that. Now, they've spent a ton of money today. The question is, was that money well spent? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I forgave last year. I forgave, not that it's my place, but Cam may not have worked out last year as the uh, as Did you the give great, him a call and let him know? Yeah, I called. I was like, Billy, oh, good, he's Billy good. with me. I'm I'll like, or maybe BB. You know, uh, maybe, it's like, hey, BB, I get it. Like, you, you took a flyer on a quarterback. It didn't work out. Everybody does that. What are you going to do now? Well, that's the real question. I think this is the real start of the time of accountability towards Bill Belichick. So they spent a ton of money. The question is, did they spend it well? Yeah, we'll find out. And, you know, I, I think anybody who wanted to use last year as the deciding factor on whether who won, Tom or Bill. Well, obviously last season, Tom got another Super Bowl. That doesn't mean that there isn't another future of success for Bill once they get everything together again. Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll obviously be breaking down everything that the Patriots do now that they've spent all this money. 
the number of times we're going to hear that talked about over the next 12 months will be staggering. All right, coming up, the NCAA Women's Tournament is set. We're going to talk to the selection chair about how they determine the field. We will do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So good to say it. March Madness is upon us. We actually have a tournament to start getting ready for. And we're going to get some expertise now to help us along the way. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And uh, look, we said it earlier, this this year, I think, particularly is going to be impossible for anybody to predict. It's always difficult at March Madness. But now, when you're trying to figure out which team was good and which team wasn't and how to weigh anything that we saw in the regular season, it's tough to get a sense of. So we're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline where Gary Parrish, our buddy from CBSSports.com, joins us. You can listen to the Gary Parrish Show on 92.9 FM ESPN in Memphis every single day. Gary, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, the committee spoke yesterday. We'll start with the easiest thing here. Any real issues with what they decided? Not really. I mean, we, we could nitpick it, but the truth is, you know, I, I had a, a projected bracket. 68 of the teams that I had in my field were in their field. The only difference is I had Louisville in, Wichita State out. They had Wichita State in and Louisville out. So, again, minor discre- discrepancies. I thought the one seeds were all correct. The two seeds were all correct. Again, if you want to nitpick it, um, I don't understand still to this moment. And I talked to one of the committee co-chairs last night, and he couldn't offer any explanation why on the official seed list, Drake as an at-large team was below Oregon State and Georgetown, two teams that won automatic bids and were widely considered to be bid stealers, in fact. Mitch Barnhart, the athletic director at Kentucky and committee chair, identified them as bid stealers, basically said those two teams winning those tournaments pushed Louisville and Colorado State out of the field. So how does a bid stealer, in other words, a team that would not have been in the tournament if not for getting an auto bid, sit ahead of an at-large team in the seed list? There's no good explanation for that. It seems to be just a, a mistake. But again, if we're talking about Drake and Oregon State and Georgetown, that deepened the bracket, then again, we're just probably nitpicking. I thought they mostly did a good job. Gary Parrish with us talking the men's NCAA bracket. We look at the roads for the number one seeds, and you could argue that the Zags have it easiest, especially with Virginia and Kansas having issues with COVID being teams they've beaten. You could also say toughest because there's a real question mark about exactly what you're getting with those teams, and they're quite good when they're healthy. What do you make of that that part of the bracket? Sarah, I, I think um, the former is correct. I think it's it's I'd lean toward easier than harder, and it's because um, they they have a path that could include multiple games that we've already seen. Mm-hmm. You know, if this goes a certain way, they would play. Uh, Virginia in the Sweet 16. Uh, we've already watched them beat Virginia by double digits. The game wasn't really competitive. And then, uh, of course, in the Elite Eight, if it breaks a certain way, they could either play Iowa or Kansas. They beat both of those teams by double digits. Neither game was really competitive. So if you want to make the argument that uh, perhaps it's hard to beat somebody two times and maybe you will lack a little focus because you already handled them so easily, I, I, I could listen to that, sure. But I think when you're chasing history the way the Zags are, not just a championship, but trying to be an undefeated national champion, the first one we've had since 1976, I don't think lack of focus is a real thing. Like, they're going to be ready to go from the jump. So, um, listen, I was going to take Gonzaga to go to the Final Four, no matter who was in their bracket, but I feel better about it 
considering who is actually in their side of their side of the bracket. We're talking to Gary Parrish. Again, you can listen to the Gary Parrish show on 92.9 FM ESPN in Memphis, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Gary, I feel like every time I talk to you at all, we always talk about the Big Ten, but the weekend didn't clear anything up for me. I mean, Illinois and Ohio State go down to the buzzer. Again, I know a little inconsistent towards the end of the year, but when you look at the Big Ten, who in your mind has the best shot at a national championship out of that conference? I don't think it's close, and I think it's Illinois. Um, you know, we spend so much time, those of us who work in, in the sport, talking about recruiting classes every year. Five-star prospects, number one recruiting class in America, so on and so forth. And sometimes that really does determine the national championship. 2012, Kentucky is a great example. 2015, Duke is a great example. But more often than that, when you look at the national champion and try to, you know, go through the roster, what you'll find is that they probably had somebody on that team, if not multiple people on that team, who could have very reasonably entered the previous NBA draft and maybe actually did enter the previous NBA draft but decided to come back and do one more year of school for whatever reason. I say all that to say that's exactly what Illinois is. You know, they were probably going to be ranked unranked in the preseason, you know, unless Kofi Coburn and Io DeSumo withdrew from the NBA draft. They did it you know, within two days of the deadline. And they immediately went from, again, team probably unranked to a preseason top five team. And though they had some struggles along the way, the truth is you could argue that they've been playing better than anybody and that anybody includes Gonzaga. They're 14-1 and one in their past 15 games. They've beaten Iowa. They've beaten Michigan. They've beaten Wisconsin. They've beaten Ohio State twice. They are rocking and rolling right now. And if you are trying to identify, I think, the biggest threat to Gonzaga in this entire thing, it is probably Illinois. It's Spade and Fitz. We're talking about the men's NCAA bracket. Gary, you're on top of all this every year. You watch as much as anybody. How difficult was it this year, or will it be if you haven't finished yet, to look at this bracket and guess at any upsets, guess at any teams that might be more talented than what we've seen because of scheduling? What are you even using to decide that? Just the eye test? Yeah, well, you know what? I, I can admit I'm not great at this, and the reason is because <laughs> I, I, I do watch all right, so see much. you, Gary. Thanks for no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I watch. I watch so much, and I, you know, I rank teams every morning, and so then you get the bracket in front of you, and it's very difficult for me to pick a team to beat another team that I've been watching for three months, and I know is not as good as that other team. Right. So it's hard for me to pick upsets. Like, why would I think right now that uh, I don't know North Texas would beat Purdue? Like, North Texas is a nice team. They've got a really nice point guard. But Purdue is clearly the better team, Um, according to all the metrics, according to um, your eyeballs, according to a a resume breakdown. If you look at the rankings on the players coming out of high school, every single box would check Purdue. But they'll play that game in a couple days, and North Texas might win it. You know, that's the way the NCAA tournament goes every single year. And so the only time I have a great bracket is when the, the teams that are supposed to be there at the end are actually there at the end. Like, I think my best bracket ever was probably 2008. Why? Because all four number one seeds made it to the Final Four. That's the type of stuff I usually pick. So to answer your question uh, more specifically, I, I would say it is difficult, not only because we haven't seen as many games and we didn't see as many non-conference games, mm-hmm. but um, we don't know who's playing for these teams. Like, Virginia is bringing some people to – 
Indianapolis, leaving some behind. Kansas is bringing some people to Indianapolis, leaving some behind. We don't know who's going to get popped while in the bubble and what contact tracing will do. So there's a scenario, and fingers crossed nothing like this happens, but Gonzaga is getting ready to play a Elite Eight game against Iowa, and four hours before tip-off, Corey Kispert tests positive for COVID. They contact trace Jalen Suggs, and now Gonzaga's without its two lottery picks trying to go to the Final Four. Again, that's an extreme high-profile example, but you'd be crazy to rule it out. All right, so Gary, who you got? What's your, what's your national championship for us? I got Gonzaga and Illinois, probably picked up on that by the mm. things I was saying previously. And then I've got the Zags winning the national championship. You know, we used to think of them as, oh, that's this like plucky little, you know, team out at West that's really, really good and dominates their league. But I don't know if they've got players like Duke has players and Kentucky has players. And that's just not the case anymore. You know, Gonzaga, uh, you know, this is a team that is obviously undefeated at 26-0. They are number one in the entire country in offensive efficiency. They're top 10 in defensive efficiency. They're fourth in tempo. So they're tremendous on offense, elite on defense. They get up and down the court as fast as anybody. They've got the number one effective field goal percentage in America. They've got the number one two-point field goal percentage in America. They don't just have great college players. I mean, these guys are great college players. But they've got two lottery picks in Jalen Suggs and Corey Kisper. I mean, those two players who might go in the top 10 of the NBA draft. You know, Gonzaga might be the only team that's got that kind of top-shelf NBA talent multiple places on the court. They're deep to the point where foul trouble doesn't really cause an issue. I think this team would be tremendous in any league and possibly undefeated in any league. I'm not saying they're unbeatable. They're not. But this is an excellent, excellent basketball team that is one of the best, according to the metrics, in, in modern college basketball history. It, it would be a shame if they didn't complete this and gave all of their detractors uh, another bullet to shoot at them whenever they wanted. So um, selfishly, um, even though I've got no actual connection to Gonzaga, I grew up in the South and still live there, I would like to see the Zags do this only because it would prevent people from c- continuing to say they can't. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Gary Parish CBS again. Uh, you can read them on cbssports.com and listen to The Gary Paris Show, 92.9 FM ESPN in Memphis. Gary, as always, my friend, we appreciate you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, you're always nice to have me. Take care, guys. The college Thanks, basketball Gary. season has reached tournament time. That means the Wendy's Wooden Watch has announced the final ballot. Go to ESPN.com. Search Wooden Watch for the list of the Wooden Award late season top 15 nominees. The John R. Wooden Award presented by Wendy's. Okay, that was some of the men's bracket, but the women's brackets are out. Coming up, we'll get you caught up on that, plus some news today about one of the top teams in the tournament. We'll break it down for you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on a Monday. A reminder to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Tonight, we had a really fun pre-show party talking about last night's Grammy, something Fitz knows a whole lot about from his time as a performer and voter. And tonight's Bachelor finale, no spoilers because we taped it well before the show started, but we got into a lot of what's been going down with Chris Harrison and race issues in the show, and um, we had some strong words. I would recommend listening. Don't forget, the NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night as Lillard and the Blazers host Zion and the Pelicans, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. 
Uh, we've been talking about the tournament all night, men's and women's sides of the bracket, trying to figure out how we go about making our picks. Uh, we'll have the Spain and Fitz bracket for the women's tournament. You can always join the Around the Horn bracket for the men's. Um, and one of the things is, of course, how we judge long stretches of COVID-related breaks that teams have had. Virginia and Kansas as they head into the tournament with those issues. Gina Oriem and the UConn team now on the women's side. Um, and also just fits what a strange trip it's been for these players all season long. Um, approaching Indy and and approaching Texas with, with you know, the feelings of a, a, a bubble that they have to create for themselves. And Jay Billis was on KJNZ this morning talking and sharing some really interesting insight from these players about what it is to be at home versus on the road this season. A lot of teams have been living in hotels. Um, you know, one of the coaches told me recently – uh, I was at a game, and, and he was talking about his freshman. He says, you know, if, if I let the freshman out of the hotel today and I said, hey, meet me at the dining hall, they would have no idea where it was. He says they don't, they don't even know their own campus. They're, they're not, they haven't been real freshmen. They live in a hotel, and they come to the gym, and then they go on road trips, and that's it. And then I had another player, senior, at, uh, at one of the top seeds, was telling me midway through the season, I said, you know, how have your road trips been? Because I kind of thought going on the road with the way they do these protocols would be a pain. He goes, oh, geez. He says, the road is great. They let us out of our rooms and we can go in, in, you know, on a plane and and we get to hang out a little bit more uh, until we get to the hotel on the road and we have to go straight to our room. Um, You know, it's been, it's been that kind of grind for the players when the coaches and staff all go home at night. That that's been the hardest part of it. Sarah, that, I think that that's, last that's, bit. Wow, I hadn't. That's the part I hadn't thought about. Right, I was gonna say, and I've said this all season. I do feel for college students not having a regular year. I do feel for professional athletes that are used to a certain way of living. But that's all of us. I'm not going out. I'm not doing things either. So there was this like sympathy and empathy that I felt was almost enabling for some of the folks complaining. But the part that does stick there is the coaches still go home to their families. The players don't have this social life and these support systems that we all got used to in college. They're just away and alone. That's the staggering part as you think about what they're about to regroup for, which is essentially a whole nother version of the same grind, right? And even more important and meticulous version of it because now, you know, in the middle of a regular season, God forbid there be any sort of contact tracing or any issue, uh, it will shut down a portion of your season. Now it will end your season. So you Mm -hmm. think about the level of pressure that then comes to these kids to live in lockdown, essentially, for an extended amount of time. And and I think Jay's point about, you know, sort of being stuck in your room at the end of the day is a difficult one to wrap your head around when you think about what it is like for these kids. And that's where I think, you know, we have to step back and sort of appreciate the mental toughness that it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason that I keep saying that the team that wins it all in the end to me is not only going to be a team that has some continuity, but also senior leadership, a lot of older guys, guys that understand, hey, this is the only chance we may get at this. This is the only opportunity. So it, I think if you lived through last year's uh, shutdown of the entire tournament, and then you think about being an older team that looks at it and says, this might be our last shot together, then at least you have a, a somewhat better chance. But think about how many people in our own lives, for anybody listening right now, know that guy, that friend, or that girl, that friend that is like, oh, no, I'm living within all the protocols. You know, I just see my one buddy that's a hairdresser right. and then my other buddy right. that's mm-hmm. a doctor. And, but, but, but we're all good. Like, these kids can't do 
any of that. Like they will be confined to one space, to a bubble for an extended amount of time and asked to focus on just one thing. It sounds incredibly easy until you realize how stir crazy so many of us get in that same level of confinement. So uh, the mental fortitude that it's going to take for anybody to win the championship this year is a reason why I think we have to tip our hat to whoever comes out through all of this as the victor. Completely agree. And you have to hope that it improves safety for everyone involved, that they will have this incredible carrot dangling in front of them of we want to keep playing. We want to get beaten by an opponent and not by COVID if we're going to get beaten at all. But what's scary and worrisome to me is not players who act uh, you know, in a way that puts them at risk and puts their team at risk. It's something they can't control. Like we nearly saw in, say, the NBA with the barber. Right. There are these moments or in the NFL, there are these moments that are out of their control. And that would be the heartbreaking thing would be if they did everything right. And it was an official or a staff member or, a, you know, somebody who worked at the facility, any any sort of uncontrollable. I think that would hurt the most um, because it sure would feel like something you'd carry with you forever if you were the one who tested positive And that that caused your team to miss out. Yeah, rage. I mean, let, let's right. be. I'm just thinking about everything that has been sacrificed by so many people, mm-hmm. and to think that that you may not control your own destiny. I mean, the, the well, and something like Duke, they could feel that way because if they had kept winning, they might have really had a shot. And whoever and whatever caused them to miss out on the rest of that conference tournament was probably what decided that they weren't going to get in the cut. Which is is so. All of this is so difficult, especially when you remember that even though they look like grown adults on the court or on the field, they are still college kids. And I mean, I'm just going to ask everybody to continually look in the mirror and ask yourself if 21-year-old you would have been capable of living the way that we're asking these kids to live, because I think the answer largely is no. And that doesn't mean that I'm saying that these things shouldn't be be happening. It would be tough for sure. It would be tough. for. I, I think I'm not saying that you know, hey, we shouldn't be like none of that. I'm just saying that we need to all for for the loud yelling that goes on around college athletics all the time. At some point this year, particularly, you need to look at it and say, man, good on you guys for doing yeah. what most kids couldn't offer up some grace, but understand huh. that huh. um that, yeah, they've certainly been provided with the guidelines to follow. And the hope is that they do so. I want to ask you something quickly because, you know, we had on. Gary Parrish earlier, and I saw in his tweets that he was advocating for Patino to have a shot at some big-time jobs in the NCAA. Never really found something fully to point the finger at, and I disagree with that, whether it's the behaviors in the diner to the you know, assigning of prostitutes and, and dancers to players that he claims he never noticed, which I never believe uh, when head coaches say that, to the FBI investigation stuff. Um, what do you make of him being in this tournament while Louisville and Kentucky are not. Yeah, and that's one of the things. Like This is the moment where the, the influence of certain coaches, the, the ability of certain coaches, like we all knew when he went to Iona that this was what they were paying him for. Was uh, you know They're going to be talked about more through the process of the tournament than they ever would be without him. And so, yeah, it's a, it's, it becomes the sales pitch, right, for the school. But then the school also has to acknowledge what they're selling, which is, uh, everything that you just said, and there has to be some level of accountability. I understand 
that that winning is everything. I'm not stupid to that. But at some point, you also have to look at it and say, hey, Iona as a school made a decision, and they made the decision in hiring Rick Pitino that they were willing to throw all of their morals and all of the things that they should stand for as a university to the side to let somebody who sits in living rooms and says he's going to raise their uh, kids to be young men, that's the person that they ended up hiring. He's the person that did everything that you just mentioned. And so to me, it's a reminder that at some point the priorities were put in the wrong place. And we're used to that from schools like Kentucky, frankly. We're right. used to that from bigger blue blue chips, but not used to that from the Ionas of the world. I hope it was worth it. I hope it was worth it for them. Well, and my sadness, too, comes from the idea that there are parents who are like, you know what? I want my kid to go to a good coach. I don't care if you might be bringing prostitutes in to try to recruit them and violating FBI rules. <laughs> like, just, it's, it's a little dicey to me when that, when that happens. Yeah, it's, it's the unfortunate portion of the college basketball. Everybody says mm-hmm. it's the ugly like underbelly of it. Well, it wouldn't be the ugly underbelly if we continued to talk about it everywhere and to the point that the exposure never stops from the negative. I'm, I'm just saying that's the only way it ever gets fixed is if yeah. we continue to talk about it. Well, and when he does stuff like this, which is win for programs like this, um, it just reiterates to many who, who want to say it's about talent that they're willing to overlook the other stuff. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Like we said, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Freddie and Fitzsimmons are coming up. Brad Underwood, the head coach of One Seed Illinois, is going to join the show at 9.30 p.m. Eastern tonight. I'm sure they'll have all sorts of bracket talk. Andrew Brees talk, too. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.